Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Coming up at the Starlight in Waterloo, Sean Kellerman's 15th annual End of Christmas Blues Bash takes place. Saturday, January 10th, while Lowell and the Bjorn Borg Collective are in town on January 15th. Starlight is located at 47 King Street in Waterloo. For complete listings and information, visit starlightsocialclub.ca. Creative Control with Beesh Comic. Owen Pallet is back on the show this week because he's playing the Hillside Inside Festival in February, and I wanted to catch up with him to discuss that. But also, he had a very interesting year in 2014. He put out, by his accounts and by many of... I, I would actually go with this too. His best record. He put out his best record within Conflict last year. And he made the news quite a bit, but not because of his music. He sort of talked about other stuff, and and it got a lot of attention... And it was intriguing to see him provoke people in the way he did and get nominated for Oscars. And, you know, he had a big year, but by his reckoning, it wasn't that big a year for him musically. I mean, he did a lot of great stuff, but anyway, I I thought it would be interesting to get his perspective on the year that was. And so he's back on the show. We did chat when In Conflict came out, as some of you might recall, but this is a fresh conversation. It just happened this week. And I think it's intriguing and insightful, an insightful take on cultural production and the culture industry as it currently stands. So here it is, myself and Owen Pallet, and uh, but at the end you're going to hear a song that Owen chose that is not by him. Stay tuned for that as well. Myself, Owen Pallet, here you go. This episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero, the finest pizzeria in all of Guelph, Ontario. They've got delicious gourmet pizzas or choose from an array of fresh ingredients and make whatever you like. Calzones, wings, panzerotti, salads, breadsticks, garlic bread. Pizza Trocadero has it all. You can find them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph or visit them online at trocaderoguelph.ca. That's T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. Call them at 519-829-2444 for pickup or delivery. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. Silver in the name of keeping the order. Silver is nothing more than the displacement of water. It's a trick of blood on the face of your daughter and all your son. The rising tide of intellect, your room a holy mess. 
the dispossessed You ruin my holy mess You say you'll never go home But the truth is you never left it At the top of the canyon We look down at what can be created Pallet is a tremendously gifted multi-instrumentalist, composer, and singer who currently lives in Montreal. Pallet was initially acclaimed for his string arrangements for artists like Jim Guthrie, Arcade Fire, Fucked Up, and many others. And particularly when he lived there, he was viewed as a true leader and champion of Toronto's underground arts community. Since releasing his own music, Pallet's profile has risen considerably. He won the inaugural Polaris Music Prize and has been nominated uh, for that prize for each of his solo records. He was also nominated for an Academy Award, and his fourth and latest album, In Conflict, has appeared on many Best of 2014 critics' lists. He's a sharp, clever, outspoken young man, and he's playing the Hillside Inside Festival on Saturday, February 7th at 3 p.m. with Jennifer Castle. Here now for a chat is Owen Palata. Hi, Owen. How are you? Hi, Vish. I'm great. It's nice to speak with you. Now, where are you, Owen? I'm in my um, new home in Montreal. Well, it's not new. I've been living here two years now, but uh, because I've been on tour so much, it still feels new. Oh, I didn't realize you'd moved. Well, congratulations. Is it, is it, a, is it a nice step up? Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to go into this sort of like Montreal proselytizing on your show. <laughs> Probably the wrong venue for it, but basically, yeah, give me a chance where I'm not in a public forum and you know. I will be convincing you to move here. I wanted to move there. I told I told my wife Michelle that it, it's among the one of the only other places I'd like to live uh, aside from Guelph. And that's basically how I feel, you know, there's like I mean there's five cities in the world where I'd live and you know Toronto's definitely one of them, but Montreal is kind of top of the list right now. Yeah, I like it. I'm glad I'm glad you're enjoying it as well. I um want to ask you about the year that was looking back on 2014. Can you, and I know this is a lot to put on you right away, but can you, can you, how would you assess your year as a professional public person? Because I think it was a rather unique year for you in terms of how you engaged with the public beyond just releasing a record. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I kind of got up to a lot of stuff this year and I didn't really have a vacation or a day off for the entire year. And this is, I'm pretty hardworking dude, but that's, kind of crazy it was kind of weird for me you know um and i did start to kind of mentally lose my mind <laughs> a couple <laughs> times in june and august i had a couple of emergency therapy sessions because i was you know having panic attacks and stuff hmm. but uh yeah i mean it it was it was interesting i i've i've long held for uh for years and years i've, I've held that uh um, basically, the musicians and the releasing of music is uh, losing its cultural uh, gravity. Um, not to the point that it's not m- meaningless, but that uh, basically, like, you can pretty much do anything, um, either in the digital realm of the internet or in the real world, and have it be more impactful and more interesting than releasing a new track, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And, and- I mean, it's kind of crazy to me to just even see like so many musicians who, you know, are incredibly talented people, irresistibly talented musicians. And just to see uh, the incredible gulf between something witted that they say and how quickly that spreads around the internet versus, you know, an actual piece of music that they've written. So you, Um, you were observing other artists being, as you say, something they've said or wrote seem to have a virility to it that their new song didn't. Everything seemed to have an angle. And are you saying that you observed this and thought, well, maybe I can contribute to this 
in some way. No, it, that, I mean the way you phrased it sounds like it sounds so cynical. <laughs> I, I wasn't I wasn't doing it. I was actually just observing it in myself. You know that like when uh, for example the Oscar nomination, which you know I don't want to for a second sound unappreciative, but I mean it's a very insignificant part of my life. You know what I'm saying? I kind of care more about you know, the arrangements I'm doing for a band, whatever, to this afternoon more than I care about, you know, an Oscar ceremony in L.A. It's not high on my radar, right? Yeah, yeah. But it got my entire family and, and all my high school friends just out in, in full force being like, oh, my God, this is so great. This is so, we're so happy for you. And I'm like, oh, you are? It's like, I was like, I just had National Ballet do a, you know, performance of my piece and no, you guys came. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was like that to me is a coup. Like, I got I got to write for the National Ballet of Canada. That's like, a, that's a dream of mine. You know, and it's like, I, you know, I mean, I'm not saying nobody came, but you know, yeah. I certainly didn't have high school friends kind of be like, whoa, that's awesome. You know, and similarly, I mean, you know, like the most uh, talked about thing that happened to me, I guess, last year was a Facebook post I wrote about John. Like, I, yeah, it's and it was kind of like, jeez, guys, like I. Uh, a record it's a good record too <laughs> <laughs> so i mean i don't think i don't think i'm not saying this but like from a hand-wringy perspective i'm kind of like just examining it and saying wondering what it means you know about making music and releasing music because i see it all the time you know you get it in your inbox somebody who is a friend of yours somebody who makes music like let's say jim you know jim sends an email being like hey check out these new tracks i wrote and my first feeling is just like ah oh, geez, do I have to? Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm so excited for new music from you, Jim, but like, man, that's a chore to actually have to stop what I'm doing and put on some music. You know what I mean? Do you, do you feel uh, that you feel like we as consumers are, are put upon unless the scale has been heightened? Because what you're referring uh, what you're referring to is, yes, you put out a record that is amazing on, it's on Secret City Records, which, you know, some people in Canada, and some people wouldn't even know what that is, but the name recognition of the Academy Awards for you to enter the fray during the Gian Gomeshi scandal, these are things that are just instantly familiar to most people. And it just seems that at least it sounds like your family, <laughs> I'm not trying to pin the, the blame on them, but for people like your family who are potentially, you know, more of a general audience, that scale it seems to intrigue and impress them more than potentially the actual content of what you've made or well, done. exactly. But what I'm arguing with you right now is just that content is becoming less and less valuable, you know? I just feel as if people are much more interested in these kind of sound bites and more interested in reading a think piece about the Nicki Minaj record than actually listening to the Nicki Minaj record. I mean, I come from a pretty specific perspective in this because I'm working on music like for, you know, six to eight hours a day that I tend to kind of listen to music for uh, from a comforting perspective. You know, this morning I listened to Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. I wasn't listening to, you know, um, new music. You know what I'm mm -hmm, saying? Mm -hmm. And certainly I do check out, like, I try and keep abreast of everything that's coming on, but it does feel more like research than it does feel like, you know, pleasure. I mean, it also could be just that I'm not in the consumer, consumer set anymore, and so my view is, is skewed, and maybe many of the people that I'm friends with and observing are also not in the consumer set. So, uh, you know, my view is skewed, but I'm just trying to say that I feel as if like content, especially when it comes to music, it's just that the, that I, I don't know whether it's the fact that it's everywhere or that, you know, it's just, we're just, we've already got an infinite supply of music and we're just piling more and more material into that infinite pile. But, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot, I did work mostly on music this year, but I feel as if like all the stuff that you're saying that kind of made it a big year for me was kind of the, um, you know, inconsequential stuff that kind of happened along the side. Like yeah, all my big news, all of my big news stories were Facebook stories I shared on my private posts on my private page that people said, "Hey, you should post this publicly," and, I, and then I did. You know what I mean? Like it was all private, just like messages to friends that people put put out. That's true. Like that's true. You would you know? post things. That, this is your. I think the first thing that happened was you were writing these um, breakdowns of how songs worked and and how music worked, and then that became a public thing right yeah and i still get offered like i got i got people offering me books out of that you know what i'm saying huh. like people want and i mean it, the thing was is that the pieces were satirical like I, I don't think that there should be books written that break down these sort of things i was doing it to prove a point the fact that like pop songwriters 
they are not idiots. You know, that was the whole point. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, beyond that, but it was just like people, people wanted, people, people responded to that just so much more than they responded to, you know, the songs <laughs> that I'd written or the shows I'd been playing. I mean, it's not true, you know, like I, I was out on tour with Arcade Fire, you know, and I saw this, I saw this in, this record, which had been so divided upon release, and you know the general public was so sick of Arcade Fire, and you know so over it, and so you know had seen the sound of Funeral been imitated and copied and you know photocopied by you know countless bands, and now is being used to sell Hyundai commercials. And you know I was able to see like the entire public just come around, like even skeptics. Like I in fact would always invite like the most noted skeptics in every city that, you know, friends from the internet who I knew just hated Arcade Fire. I'd be like, Hey, come to the show. Right. You know, and they would come and they would be convinced. Like they would have a great time. It's just like, I mean, I saw this, you know, big cultural thing. It's not entirely true. You know, like that was, that was a big thing, but I mean, we're talking about a multi-million dollar, you know, industry here. I think it's, you know, when, I think it's interesting that when you bring up Arcade Fire, when we were just having this conversation about the, seeming div- seeming divide between content versus intrigue like extraneous intrigue i feel like the backlash on reflector started with the rollout the kind of marketing campaign i think people felt uh that they were being put upon with how th- how sort of omnipresent they were and you know that they had that big snl you were involved with this i don't have to tell you this but do you, did, yeah. did you have a you sense? No, from watching it, I wasn't in a single shot. <laughs> that's but, uh, that's right. Yeah, but right. I was involved. Yeah. <laughs> do you, did, did you have a, an opinion on how this record came out as opposed to their previous records? Because it just seemed to be an event record, whereas I think people were used to them. You know, obviously one of the biggest bands in the world over the last decade, but it seemed to be the rollouts were a little more modest or subtle, artful. This one was an in-your-face thing, you know, like almost billboardy. Um, it's you, hilarious that people would say that because it actually was only made in your face by news outlets. Hmm, um, hmm. And it, like, I mean, I I was functionally there to see exactly what was happening. And you know, I mean, when you're talking about a small band signed to Polyvinyl that are going to be like, here's a press release for the album cover. Here's a press release for the you know, here's a press release for the track listing. Here's a EP with remixes. You know. Arcade Fire didn't send out a single press release over the entire ad campaign. Mm, like, mm. not one. All they did was just, you know, they put up a billboard, which is, like, kind of what you would expect for a big rock band. Yeah. You know, they had this viral, uh, whatever, spray paint campaign, you know, akin to what Apex Twin did. And certainly Apex Twin suffered the same sort of critical backlash, like, oh, this isn't what we thought Apex Twin was about. But I, I think it was just symptomatic of the fact that the band kind of actually is quite private and don't do too many interviews and don't don't say anything that people tend to kind of gravitate towards. If people do want to click on that link that is like, oh, let's see what you know cover they threw together at Soundcheck today. Hmm. And um, but ultimately, I feel as if like the negative response that you're referring to, I think honestly that's more of a product of the fact that it's pretty impossible to be a rock band in your mid 30s and make it work. You know what I'm saying? It's like bands get old and old is ugly. And, you know, I'm not interested in listening to old rappers or old pop musicians or old rock musicians. You know, it's just not, I'm not interested in it. You know what I mean? I'm like, I like old composers when they get old. I like Scott Walker. You know, I like John Cale and shit. But like, yeah, rock bands, when they get old, they get boring. Pop bands, you know, they lose their charm. Who's who's even... You know, what kind of a year did Lady Gaga have? You know what I'm saying? And she's like, what, 26? You know? Yeah, I know. I just think it's really... Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm saying it's like youth is beautiful and pop music is youth culture. And I think it's like incredibly difficult to have a band like Arcade Fire who our median age is like 36, 37. Mm-hmm. Like, it's pretty difficult to, you know, kind of uh, brainstorm any possible rollout that's going to get people interested. I mean, this is beyond... Yeah, yeah. uh, These group of actual young men and women, but, you know, in the world of pop music, complete has-beens, you know? Well, part of what you're alluding to, I think, in terms of what you did... Again, I don't... hmm, We should be clear here. These These extracurricular things you did... They aren't really... You had a great year in terms of artistically fulfilling. You put out a great record, but these extracurricular things you did, you don't see them tied to the release of your record in, in any way, do you? 
No, and in fact, you know, I'm, I'll be quite frank with you, you know, like my label, they pay attention to this sort of stuff. And they saw the slate pieces and they saw that it had absolutely no blips, absolutely no more. There was no people, no sales generated, no more YouTube views generated by, you know, me writing those pieces. It just there was no correlation. You hmm. know, there was no correlation. There was no bump. There was no blips for the Jean Gameshi thing. I mean, it sounds completely cynical that I would check even, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> sure. But of course, but you know, I, but it's there, that information is available to me and I see it. And it's interesting to me to just see how there is very little correlation about this. And of course, all these things I'm talking about, the Slate thing, this, you know, Facebook post about Jean, these are not like things, these are not things, things that pay my bills. These are not, uh, <laughs> you know, income revenue generating activity you know what i'm saying this they don't sell tickets they don't sell anything you know what i'm saying you say it was like this big year for me but it was uh financially you know it wasn't that great <laughs> i mean i did fine you know it's like we're, we're we're making the money selling tickets but i mean comparatively it's like you know i'm still like in kindergarten teacher land no know? well we're hinting we're, we're touching upon rather this idea the value of sort of the subtext of some of what we're discussing is kind of social media, how things are sort of distributed uh, in places. And I feel like there, when you look at Twitter followers and Facebook followers and hits and all that, people assume that that equates, like a high, high numbers equates success. And I think what you're saying is there isn't necessarily a correlation between uh, you know, how great a post did and how you're doing professionally. In fact, it might not have, it doesn't sound like it was detrimental to you, but it, it, there, there might not be any connection. No, 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 there isn't. I mean, I think, I mean, the only thing that I try not to tell people how to listen to music, you know, it's like I want to, but I try and repress that urge in myself, you know, I don't think it's like a good thing. And a lot of people do it. You know, they try and tell tell people that, oh, you're listening to this rapper for these reasons. You're listening to this pop musician for those reasons. And I try to kind of avoid that sort of activity. But the one thing that I do kind of feel strongly about is the fact that it's the way that people talk about musicians and the way that people talk about the way musicians make money and just suggesting that musicians kind of walk into the business with some kind of entitlement, like this kind of like, oh, I'm so special syndrome and everyone should listen to my music, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't think people really understand. And also, like, I mean, the whole resentment of musicians when they become successful. I don't really think un people actually understand how difficult it is to make any sort of money at all making music and how subsidized the people's careers are by, you know, part-time jobs in Canada, by, you know, artist grant processing procedures, yeah. you know, or just, or just by the fact that you're living basically in poverty. I mean, I had this really awesome conversation with Leslie Feist, where we were, you know, you think of Leslie as like the quintessential sellout musician, you know, this the woman who sold a commercial that she didn't even write, or sold a song she didn't even write to an Apple commercial, and came home with, you know, a big bag of cash, you know? Yeah. This is like, I mean, this is, I mean, this is, I guess, what we all, like, what we all kind of like unspoken have this kind of idea that this is like the way it works. Even with all that money that she made, even with all the success that she had on the tours for Let It Die and The Reminder, you know, her income from age 20 to 40, well, if you average it out year to year, it is, like, I didn't say kindergarten teacher for no reason. It actually works out to being about, like, $35,000 a year, hmm. which is totally fine, you know, but when you consider that this is, like, a crazy, difficult freelance position that completely occupies absolutely all of your time, you know, as I said, me, myself, I made no, I had no days off this entire last year. Granted, I was working in places like Istanbul and Buenos Aires, and I got to have, like, pisco sour on the beach, and that was pretty cool. <laughs> like, it's, you know, I'm not complaining about my job. It's great. But I'm just saying, it's a lot of work. It just never stops. I'm working until 10 p.m., and I'm working when I wake up in the morning. You know, it's, it's pretty all-encompassing. Yeah, I'm just basically trying to say it's like, the the one the one problem that I do have with the the way that people perceive musicianship is that you know that there's some kind of like crazy entitlement going on. It's like I do what I do because it's like it does make some money and I do love it, you know. And also that's what I went to school for. I can't just kind of turn around and you know return to my oral hygienist position, you know. <laughs> you and I had a I I think a. I thought we had a nice chat at the Polaris Music Prize Gala. Uh, it, it aired on Ox TV, and, and I don't know if you heard about it from people, but 
I, I got some comments and feedback about that. People thought that was among the more intriguing interviews. And I, I remember being taken aback by how frank you were about how ineffectual, you know, press coverage is and uh, in terms of you as a working artist. And, and you know, you've touched upon this quite a bit today. In all this contemplation, as busy as you are, as many people as you work with, as much as you travel, as hard as you work, what do you see as some form of, as some kind of solution to this, <laughs> to make music and make a, a good living? I mean, what else could you do? Have you thought about this? Well, the thing that the thing that is so strange to me, and that the thing that is kind of like gives me pause, is the fact that like here I am uh, ramping up to put out in conflict, and like when is like coming on tour with Arcade Fire, and I said yes, you know, I didn't believe in it. I didn't believe in it. I was just kind of like you know, in conflict is 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 it's, it's like I think it's my best record, but I'm I'm just too scared. I'm too scared to actually kind of like really fully sell this thing, mm-hmm. you know. And I didn't. It's like I couldn't oversee the music videos. I could only do like half the interviews that I wanted to. There was no late night TV because it was just like my schedule was all tied up with Arcade Fire, you know. Um, and even now, like I got an offer to, you know, host a CBC show and I was just kind of like, immediately I was just kind of like, oh, well, it'd be throwing away everything that I've worked my entire life towards, but I'll do it, you know? Yeah. And it's just these, these sort of activities, these, the, the fact that I would, you know, turn away from the career that I've been working on so quickly kind of suggests that like right now there is no solution you know all i'm working on right now is musical solutions i'm trying to make a better record i'm trying to make a better film score i'm trying to make better concert music um i'm listening to music around me and trying to create something that people are going to be moved by but increasingly i just i feel as if that there's a what's the word i'm looking for there's a transaction i guess between uh, consumer and producer that's kind of a little broken it's kind of a little messed up yeah and i think we're all we're all just we're all like in this newborn kind of like crazy world of having too much information and not knowing how to process it all. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fine, but I think that basically, you know, content producers are, <laughs> are kind of screwed, you know, whether I'm not just talking about the musicians, I'm talking about music writers as well. Uh, I, I mean, feel, I feel I'm, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I really don't. I don't know anymore. I, I feel rudderless. And when you say I got asked to host a CBC show, I'm sorry, my ears perked up. What is that about? Now I'm, now I'm 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 curious about that. Uh, well, it was a while ago. Oh, does um, it, did it happen? No, it didn't. No. Oh, I you got asked, that. and you said. Oh, I thought you said you said yes. I did say yes, but then they said no. <laughs> they they asked you to do a show. You said the show would be terrible as a CBC radio host. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, on a functional level, I'm still like, but in most people's minds, considered to be a total sexual pervert. So it's just like I don't know. <laughs> like what kind of role I would have at the CBC. You know huh. what I mean? It's like, I have sex with men. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, Your show. No for me in public broadcasting. I think you'd be ideal. I think that would be great. That's what public broadcasting needs. Guys who have sex with men. Uh, what? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where this came from. I, I, <laughs> no, well, I, I can help you with that. If you, ever, <laughs> if you ever, if you ever fancy a weekend away. Is that the key? <laughs> is that the key for me to get back? I need to, you know, this is what I'm, I'm going after too. Like I, you, I don't know. Like uh, it, it seems like cultural production. I'm, I played it safe almost my entire professional life. I always had a day job. All the music writing and broadcasting I pursued was kind of a side thing. Then I got swallowed up by the CBC in, in a good way. Like I got to do this all the time. It was great. And then they took it away, and now I'm like scrambling. Like I should I be driving cars back and forth? Should I be driving people to the airport and back to their homes? Should I work in a factory? Should I? What should we? What should I be doing? What should you be doing exactly? I don't know. You know, like I would. Sorry, this wasn't I'll, supposed to be about me. <laughs> no, it's, I'm. I'm happy. I'm happy that it is. I mean, I see that my perception of how you are doing is that you're doing quite well. I mean, I see that you're writing for Pitchfork again, which is no small thing. I you suppose, know. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's something you've done before, I think. But, no, no, uh, never have. Never have. Oh, well, it just well congratulations. Started. Yeah, no, I, I uh, thank <laughs> you. I, I thank Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Thank you, I suppose. I know you have... I'm so glad you joined the dark side. Uh, exactly. <laughs> See, we part of our Polaris Music Prize discussion was you kind of being outspoken about your thoughts on Pitchfork, which you viewed as a, a monocultural enterprise. Um, and I took that to heart, and then shortly thereafter, they took me on. Um, yeah. So, or well, actually, the thing is, is I love all their writers, and I love their writing, and I just feel as if that the fundamental mechanism that they're based on, the decimal point system... And, you know, the whole list generation thing, which they really did bring to the fore, you know what I mean? Yes, it was, yes. It was only when Pitchfork came around that, like, Mojo started, like, a rating system. Mojo used to be, like, Wire. It used to be just, like, commentary, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it's like, it was only this thing that kind of has turned, you know, indie music into a meritocracy. And then, and now pop, you know, they're branching into pop music, branching into rap music, and turning it into this other kind of, like, you know, sports thing and i just don't think it works because that's not the way that the brain digests music people don't or at least some people do i don't know i see a lot there's a lot of people who do it and post their lists and stuff like that but i feel as if they're just substituting that for actually talking like actually like saying something interesting about the music that they're listening to i i don't give a I don't give a rat's ass about like whether or not you like Charlie X, X, C, X more than Taylor Swift or whatever. It does it mm-hmm. does not move, it does not move me. But you know, say even a sentence or a paragraph about that thing, and it moves me. And you know, Pitchfork does that. Pitchfork right, has con- consistently employed some of my favorite writers. And I mean, that Philip Sherver and piece that just got posted about Panda Bear yesterday. Yeah. Ah, amazing! It was oh, like good. so so good to read that. And you know, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in Portugal and. You know, I'm not anything more than a passing acquaintance with Noah, but like, you know, I know the, a lot of the places that he was talking about, and it's, I just, it felt like I was going on a little vacation. <laughs> it was terrific. Oh, know? nice. Yeah, no, it's nice when you read something that grabs you. Did you, I shouldn't say did you, what were your problems with my Slim Twig piece? Did I have problems with your Slim Twig I don't know. I just, I assume you did. <laughs> I, sometimes when something like that goes up, you know, when you review a record or, I haven't had this in years, but yeah, since writing for Pitchfork, I'm a little, once I see see it online, my hair stand up a little bit. Um, I'm just like, oh man, this is, it just oh, right. seems yeah, like a bigger, like, oh, I committed, I committed to that sentence. Yeah. Or, well, you know, things, things get tweaked and edited and here and there, but no, I was curious because I know you were invested in on that record. Sorry, this is again about me. I just, I, I, because I, you're, you're a very outspoken guy, but you're also a very diplomatic guy. And I don't think you and I have ever had a real debate and which is fine i i don't know that you and i sh- i think i would lose but i was just curious <laughs> i was just curious well, it's not about it's not about winning or losing you know yeah but like i don't recall exactly the nuts and bolts of what you wrote about slim twig because as you might understand there was a lot of information being generated that day and um was there I don't, know, I don't know what day that was well wait uh, do you just write the review of the slim twig record i did or, i did for them you write an ear and blurb for it as well no, I wrote a year-end blurb about shellac. For Pitchfork, you mean? Yeah. No, I just wrote about shellac. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I recall your I recall your, your write-up about it being, you know, extremely effusive, actually. Oh, and, good. Okay. You know, good. And that made me happy, because what can you say about, <laughs> about a dude who's a musical genius who sells 20 tickets when he leaves Toronto? You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. It's like... Yeah. It's like there's if you if you have anything negative to say about Max other than this isn't for me then I have no patience for you you know yeah sure so, sure sure yeah I, so and I mean I'm I'm really into that record and it got you know cited and swung around you know in certain secret places being like this kind of like real amazing thing and the favorite of other people and so that made me really happy because I really believe in 
Max's work, but of course he's interdisciplinary. He does like everything. He can do anything. So he is a genius. He's a, I, you know, the term Renaissance man is is a, a cliche and probably not apt in this case necessarily. But he he does a lot of different stuff and he's really great at all of it. You know, he's he's one of like I have this kind of interesting relationship with Wynn where, like, um, if I'll try and say something or I'll try and do something and make a suggestion, he'll often rein me in and be like, "No, that's too far out. You got to bring it in and keep it simpler mm-hmm. and stuff like that." And I'm have developed. I realized over time that Wynn is always right and I am always wrong, and so I'm <laughs> always deferring to him. But I had the kind of opposite relationship with Max because, like, Max would always be pushing things further, and he'd send me a track, and I'd just be like, "Dude, oh." I'd, I'd like want to say to him, I'd be like, this mix is crazy. Nobody wants to listen to this. Like, that's <laughs> insane. You know, and it's like that first song, Heavy Splendor, is just like, it's like a migraine headache. It is so intense, you know? Yeah. And I was just like, I can't, like, I was like, we'll have to see what this sounds like in mastering. Like, I, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, this is too out. Yeah. But like, and even when it came out, and I've listened to the record when it came out, and I was just kind of like, ah, this is mixed so insane, and I, I don't even know who's going to listen to this, and Paper Bag didn't know who's going to listen to this, and two years later, I'm like, I'm an idiot. This record is amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, how did I ever think that this record was anything other than, like, the best thing to come out of Toronto in, like, 10 years, you know? So, but yeah. getting back to what you were saying about should I drive a car, you know, it was interesting because, like, I've read a couple of things. I'm... I've, somehow accumulated like Facebook friends with kind of like a lot of freelance music writers. Um, Mm -hmm. I usually try and avoid it because it kind of feels like a bit of a uh, conflict of interest, you know, but they slip in. And I read a couple of of, uh, posts by a couple of, you know, people who I vaguely know as being music writers um, saying like, well, this is the year I'm quitting. You know, how do you feel about this? And I have to admit, I would go through and I would click and I would like read, you know, I would go through and read some of their writing. And I would think, like, thank God this guy's quitting. You know, this is, <laughs> this is not good. You know what I mean? No, I'm serious. Yeah. I'm so serious. I, I don't really know what to say. It's, if, if you can't make money at it, then you shouldn't be doing it. I want to revisit something that you've touched upon in terms of perceptions of success, because, you know, you said something earlier about how your perception of me is that I'm doing quite well, whereas I feel like I'm struggling. And you also mentioned, like, Feist or Slim Twig or you people would assume because you're traveling and you're making stuff that things are going well but there is this general sense that uh, there is this I think a general feeling among people like and again I'm not lumping myself in with you but that we're not doing as well as we seem to be doing and you know you say if you can't make money at something maybe you shouldn't be doing it I've had that thought and yet I keep going. I keep making stuff. And I and until I don't know what I'm waiting for, if I'm waiting for some affirmation or, you know, some job somewhere. And it sounds like you're you're getting those gigs. You're getting stuff. What what do you think is ultimately enough to make us stop doing this? Because I feel like we have a drive in us to make the stuff we make. Well, I think that every I think that any anybody who takes on a creative life is basically taking on a life within a life. Mm-hmm. And that creative life is going to have its own adolescence and its own adulthood and its old, old convalescence, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, or sorry, its own, you know, geriatric ward or whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, we're all, and we all have to bear, you know, that we, we get, you know, this second puberty, this excitement of, like, having a career take off and having people suddenly take notice of what we're doing. And then we have this period where we're paying our bills and we have this period where all of a sudden we're not paying our bills. You know, we have to kind of basically think about doing something else. And for many lucky people, like, who was I just thinking about? Was it My Chemical Romance? Uh, it was I think it was my, no, it was Blink-182. I was thinking about Blink-182 because they quit before they were 30. Can you believe that? Like, that band actually broke up before those guys were 30. Are you a, are you a fan? I, are you a fan of Blink-182? Um... I don't really use words like fan. <laughs> I listen to their music, and I think it's really well made, and I think that it sells a lot of copies. This keeps <laughs> happening. This is a band that when I came upon them, at, whenever they came out, I dismissed them as some sort of, not for me, commercial mall punk thing, but I've talked to a number, like Ryan Hemsworth and Bad Bad Not Good recently were on this show talking about how much they loved Blink-182, and I just was like, really? I didn't realize they resonated so much. 
Well, you have to understand that Ryan and Bad Bad Not Good are both, uh, you know, eight years younger than us. Yeah. And so for them, the record that was Blink-182, for us, the Blink-182 record was Enema of the State, you know? Mm-hmm. For my younger brother, it was Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. But for those guys, it's that whatever their last record is, I don't even know what the name of it is. It's like self-titled or something. Okay. Um, but it's the one with I Miss You on it. And it's a completely different record. It's like a Smashing Pumpkins record or something. Um, it doesn't sound, it does sound, it sounds like nothing like, you know, the ridiculous, you know, uh, suck my cock kind of lyrics of, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands. Oh, okay. Okay. Hmm. It's a, it's a really, really different record. I honestly have only listened to it once. I don't give a shit. I don't care. <laughs> it's not for me, you know, but I mean, it's really well made. Good for them. Yeah. But my point is, is that they got out by the time they were 30, you know what I mean? That they, they, uh, you know, they retired really early. They're all probably able to run sports bars or bowling alleys or whatever it is that they want to do, you know, not trying to sound, remove the dismissive tone of my voice. No, no, I, and I would love to be doing, sure. you know, and then there are others, you know, people like, I don't know, Michelle Shocked, you know, who continues going on doing it into her forties and then is finding herself playing coffee houses and, you know, losing her mind, you We're know, saying weird stuff. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. Say, and saying weird stuff. It's like, I mean, I'm not going to support anything that she said, but I'm just kind of like, can you imagine being like Michelle shocked in your forties playing coffee houses? Like, yeah. I would probably be thinking some pretty crazy stuff myself, <laughs> you know, um, it happens. So what, it, I'm to say, yeah. what I'm trying to say is, it's sort of, sort of kind of turn this into a monologue, but it's just like, yeah, you got, there's, there's going to be a time when you're just not making money at it anymore. And it's going to happen to everybody. It happened to uh, Michael Girard. Yeah, you know? it yeah. Like, who's like, I'm doing Angels of Light. I'm running Young God's Records and Young God Records. And it's just kind of like, well, crap, I have no money. You know, so he <laughs> reformed Swans. Like, he actually reformed Swans because he had no money, you know? Yeah. And who knows if he has money now, you know? It's like, they're doing good, but there's, there's what, six people in the band? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So who knows, you know? But yeah, no, I, I mean, I appreciate this 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 line of chatter and conversation because I think uh, it's happening more and more, and and I don't think that this is even exclusive to the artistic community. I I do feel like in some many fields, careers are kind of done. You know, you do something where our parents might have done something for thirty or forty years. I think more and more people are doing things for five years or ten years, and then moving on to some other career. And mm-hmm. we're all kind of experiencing that same thing, um, but publicly, I suppose. You know, like, oh, Kathleen Edwards quit writing songs to run a coffee shop. And people are like, what? But, you know, you and I would be like, yeah, that probably makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, I like Kathleen Edwards, but, you know, what what can you say? Like, I love, I love her songs. They mean a lot to me, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. I would walk a mile to see her play, but you know, I I wouldn't I wouldn't provide her with an income for the rest of my life or the rest of her life. <laughs> yeah, it's coming like, to I'm, a head. I think is what my point. I'm not, my... I'm not being. I'm not trying to be dismissive. Like I mean, in the like, are you Tiny C. Coates? No, you are not. You know, are you Carl Wilson? Even no, you know, you're yeah. not Carl Wilson. None of us are Carl Wilson. Yeah, it's just like there are people out there when you read their writing and you know that they're doing it and that they that this is something that you would pay money for, you know, and then there's people like me <laughs> <laughs> or people like me yeah I, I think you have yeah, to you have like to be you. you have to be careful of of delusion as well in terms of again I don't think that you could be accused of having delusions of grandeur given all you've accomplished um, so I don't know I hope this is sobering for people who don't get this has been good thank you for this chat I appreciate it and <laughs> after all is said and done you're playing the hillside festival and that's why we're talking essentially um, yeah which is exciting you're playing with Jennifer Castle and the only thing I wanted to ask you about Hillside, because you have a relationship with it that goes back many years, I don't think I've ever spoken to you about the now infamous set you played during a thunderstorm. Have you talked to anyone about that? Talked to anyone? Like, has anyone has any has anyone asked you to sort of describe what that was like and explain to people what happened? There's really not much more than what is there. It was actually like my first show with uh, my current sound guy, um, Noah uh, Giffen. He came up and this was his first show ever and it was kind of dramatic because that was maybe I think the fourth song that I played the set and it was like clear that everything had to shut down so I was playing the sticks off his shirt which was at the time you know the kind of go-to set closer. Mm-hmm. So um, you know I just railed through it there was violin falling on my or there was violin falling rain falling on my violin <laughs> right um, and you know after afterwards I ran back and yeah I mean 
it's interesting because like people have really gravitated towards that and see that as being this kind of like video watershed moment. Um, but I mean, it's not particularly good performance or anything. There's way better <laughs> performances of like every other song online. And I don't even think it's particularly a good song, but you know, I mean, uh, yeah, like Brian Taylor came up to me and said, you know, I, I have never felt moved by your music. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that video, that's really intense. And I'm just kind of like, well, I guess there's something about it that I can't see. Well, there's a, the, one of the heroic aspects of it is you telling the people, the, the sort of stage crew, just give me one more minute. Like, just like them trying to pull you off and you trying to get through your verses. <laughs> I think that gives it a sort of, as I say, heroic kind of feeling. Like, this is a guy that was challenging not only the elements but the people around him to get his song across. Right. That's I guess a, so. Yeah, no, it's pretty it's pretty cool. So you I, that's not is that's got to be one of the most memorable is that the most memorable thing that happened to you at Hillside or do you have something else? Um, let me think. I uh I hung out with Buffy San Marie at Hillside and like played a cover of The Dream Tree while she was sitting right there. Oh yeah, you helped uh, me you helped me talk to her too. You helped me have a little interview with her. I helped you. <laughs> you did. You said I you. She. Translator. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you did. You got me in there in, into her trailer to talk to her because she, she, she trusted me because I was a friend of yours. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, that's 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 possible. I mean, she's a very trusting person. Like she's, you know, she's not, she's not no fragile lady, you know. So it's but, not, uh, it, yeah. I, I'm hearing like a whiff of regret in your voice for sicking myself on this <laughs> Buffy St. Marie. Oh, come on. You are projecting. There is no regret. I was, <laughs> I'm happy to, happy to have gotten you in there. She's, uh, no, I mean, she's my hero, and we continue to hug each other when we see each other and correspond over email, and I'm just, like, the most privileged person in the world to have an artist like that in my life. You know, her you, music is the greatest. In spite of everything we've said, you feel like a fortunate artist. You feel... You, you feel I don't want to use the word blessed, <laughs> but you feel like things have, have worked out in some way for you. Um, it's kind of like the worst of both sides. Uh, <laughs> like, cause I kind of got imposter syndrome where it's this weird, this weird kind of mix of like imposter system and syndrome and narcissism where I think that I'm way worse than some people say that I am, but way better than other people say that I am, you know? Hmm. So I don't know. This is, this, I just what a navel gazy response to, you know, an honest question. I I feel no, I feel very very happy and for everything that I've achieved. And but I guess more to the point, I really I think that the reason why I feel that way is because I'm really behind my product. Like I really feel like my live shows are some of the best shows going. And mm. every time that we actually do get added to that bill and do get put on this festival stage or whatever. Um, you know, like like uh, Sam has always been kind enough to do with Hillside. You know, we always, you know, knock it out of the park, and people are really happy. Like I just feel right now, like me and my band, if we're just doing a great job. I mean, it's uh, you know me well enough, Beach, to know that it's kind of rare for me to ever, you know, be anything other than self-deprecating. <laughs> but like, yeah, I'm really into the music we're making. I think it's like really important and good and I want to make it for many more years. So yeah, in that regard, I'm very happy. Yeah, well, we um, all, I, I wish you the best of luck with it. I, I really, I, I, you know, you say that you're always deaf, self-deprecating, but I do, I think in some ways you're in a really positive way. I mean this in a very positive way. I, I appreciate your confidence and I appreciate the fact that you feel compelled to make the what we've already sort of described as extracurricular statements um, I, I think that's important and I think you're viewed as I don't want to use, I almost use the word brave which is misused so much in the arts but I, I do think it's 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 good of you to do those things and to challenge people and <laughs> and, and, and I, I, I'm not brave dude I'm reckless <laughs> I'm just like off the rails. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think it's important that you're doing it. So uh, I, I hope you'll continue. And I do want to tell people okay. once again that uh, Owen Pallet is playing the in Hillside Inside Festival on Saturday, February 7th at 3 p.m. in St. George's Church in the Sanctuary and uh, with very special guest Jennifer Castle. And you can get more information about it at hillsidefestival.ca. Um, Owen, before we leave, is there a song, uh, I guess presumably from In Conflict, that we should play. Are you working on anything? Are you working on new stuff? You must be. Um, not what, <laughs> not just yet. I actually have had uh, just the past like three weeks have been the first time off I've had, and so I've been spending most of it 
um, partying. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I am now back at work and uh, finishing up some arrangement gigs and going to be writing new song culture this year. I'm really hoping to close the gap on between my records to two years with this next one because I'm feeling really inspired and I know the name of the record. I know a lot of the songs, how they're going to go. I but I just have to kind of sit down, work it out, and record it. So it has a when you say you have a name and some of the songs, it it potentially has a conceptual thread or. Um. Yeah, I'm actually kind of behind on the lyrics. <laughs> That's one thing. I have a lot of uh, raw material, but I, I'm st- I'm not sure if it's going to be conceptual yet. Or okay. Not. Well, I just if you have a name for something and it's not even <laughs> done, it might suggest it's the name can be a no, leading. The, name, the, the title of the record refers more to the mood of the record. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, I the only thing I I, I feel comfortable ta- talking to you about it is that it's going to be very very it's 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 there's going to be very little electronic elements in it. It's going to be much more of an uh, of a dense acoustic record. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, yeah. we'll look. But ironically, ironically, it's going to sound more like electronic music. <laughs> oh, wow. That is intriguing. Well, I can't wait to... And again, this is all hypothetical, so hopefully this pans out, but uh, that sounds that sounds cool. Um, is there yeah, a, is well, there, I'm excited. Is there a song from In Conflict we should play then instead? Okay, why don't you play a Jennifer Castle song unless you have a plan to do that already? No, I hadn't planned to do that already. Sure, is something from the new record or... Yeah, play Sparta. Sparta, oh, okay. Why did that come to mind? I don't know. Are you do, you contributed to this record. Is that a song you contribute to? No. No, oh. I, I had nothing to do with that one. <laughs> okay. No, that's, that's, that's even... No, I, the, the best song that I contributed to was Sailing Away, but... Uh, We'll talk about that song another time. Okay. All right. This is. Gen- <laughs> I, I I much prefer earlier mixes of that song than to the mix that made it on the record. And one day when you're when we're in a private forum, I'll play you. <laughs> so there's early mixes, and you'll you'll you you will cry. You'll cry for hours. That must be that must be heartbreaking when you you fall in love with a certain mix or a certain version of a thing, and then they put out something else. Um, I wouldn't really say it was heartbreaking because I still have the version. So, oh, okay. Fine, you know? And it's their decision. It's not my position to tell Jennifer and Dave how to make their records. You know, it's uh, so it's fine. But I'm just saying, like, it's not my favorite song on the record. However, I have a version I'll play for you later. Okay, thank you, Owen. This is uh, this is Sparta by Jennifer Castle from her excellent record, Pink City. And uh, Owen, it's always, always, always fun to talk to you. And uh, hey, you're I, such a blast.
If you enjoy the Creative Control podcast and want to support it with a monthly pledge, please visit patreon.com slash creative control. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash creative control with two k's. You can pledge $1 a month or $4, $8, $30, $50, $100 a month, whatever you want. There are gifts and incentives to pledge. But more than anything, you can keep the show going. There's no other revenue stream for this podcast. I've been doing it for my own fulfillment and to contribute something to the culture. But I think it's time to see if I can generate some kind of salary from all of this work. So, if you appreciate Creative Control, again... Please consider pledging a monthly amount. All of the info you need is at patreon.com slash creative control. Thank you. Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.